Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel. I have with me, as always, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are you doing? Dan, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And Josh Brown. Josh, how are you today? Cold, but good, Dan. How about you? It seems like it's cold all around the country. I'm doing great, too. A little bit chilly. Uh, guys, we have a great podcast this week. We talked to uh, Mike Brusewitz. I talked to him all the way from Sweden. And I know more, you spoke to Eric Duick. But Mike was a real key player in TBT in 2016, not just on the court, but also off the court. Yeah, Dan, Mike, you know, is a great player on the court, you know, playing, you know, all the way through to the Super 16. But he also served as the color commentator to Eric Duick uh, for the ESPN3 broadcast in Philadelphia. I, I talked to Eric and he, you know, only had great things to say about Mike. And you know, Eric is is the play-by-play voice for TBT until it gets to ESPN and ESPN2. And we had a great conversation, just how, how he keeps the pipes clean, you know, for 40 games in a weekend or 40 games, you know, over the course of a month. And he also brought up a lot of interesting team and player storylines. So, great conversation. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Maury, I know as a 76ers fan, you must have been pleased last night to see that the Sixers finally picked up a road win. We're recording this on a Friday, so this is uh, the night after the 76ers broke their unbelievable streak of in- road incompetence by beating the Pelicans at home uh, in New Orleans. What an amazing uh, situation the Pelicans are this year with how bad they've been. I mean, Anthony Davis is a force to be reckoned with. But um, other than that, I think the Sixers, you know, the future is really bright. Um, it's just great to see all these guys, you know, come together and, and play play really hard, even though, you know, probably only a few of them, only a handful of them are really going to be pieces for the future. But I think it was great just to see them win on the road. And 5-18 and 18 is nothing to be proud of, but definitely it's nice to see one on the road. Did you guys watch the Duke game on uh, Tuesday night from Madison Square Garden? I did I, not. I was, no, I was I actually at the, I was at the Garden the night before watching Syracuse UConn, but I didn't see the Florida Duke game. The thing that was incredible, and I don't watch a ton of uh, Duke games, but the thing that was incredible is I think coming into the season, everybody and has been really uh, pinpointing Grayson Allen as the next Duke guy to root against. But Luke Kennard seems like he's really been taking up the mantle this year. Have you guys watched this guy play? I've seen uh, a couple memes on Twitter. I haven't watched him play, but he's a uh, he's. You know, pretty uh, captivating guy. He's, well, he's, first of all, he's awesome. He's a great shooter, and he plays really well, but he's got that sort of, I don't know if it's Christian Leitner thing going on or whatever, but you haven't seen somebody like him in a Duke uniform in quite a while, so that'll be fun to watch as the uh, as the basketball season continues. Guys, let's get into the interviews now. Uh, I spoke to Mike Brusewitz from all the way from Sweden, and I know we'll follow that up with Maury's interview with play-by-play man Eric Duick. Okay, we're here with Mike Brusewitz, uh talking to us all the way from Sweden. Mike, how you doing? Uh, I'm pretty fantastic. Uh, we had a game last night, just hanging out on my sort of day off. Had to do some teaching of some young Scandinavian kids here earlier today, and then uh, you know didn't get to see the sun really. Was up about 6:45. Was in a gym at about 7:30, and uh, we left the gym at three. And it was dark. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask you about that. I mean, Sweden's really far north, and in the winter time, you're not getting much sun there at all. No, no, not at all. And I'm actually playing uh, kind of in the middle of Sweden. It's a, t- a smaller town called Ostersund. Um, it's similar. It's, it's on the same level as Trondheim, Norway. I'm about six hours, seven hours north of Stockholm, actually. So I'm not the furthest north team here. Um, there's a team called Luleå that we play in a couple of weeks that we go up there. Um, it's a little darker and uh, not the furthest north I've been, actually. There's a place called Trumsa, Norway, which is uh, very much on top of the world. So it's, uh, but it's been an, interest- it's an interesting area of the world for sure. What's it like playing up there just generally? I mean, the basketball culture, I know, um, in some of the Scandinavian countries has really taken off in the last maybe five to six years. 
Um, yeah, well, it's it's been a good ride. You know, this is, it's a little interesting for me because uh, last year I was in Norway and then uh, just, you know, running over to Sweden. Um, culturally, uh, like life culture is pretty much the same. Um, they have a small rivalry, rivalry similar to, you know, Minnesota and Wisconsin. You know, either one doesn't really like each other. They don't have a problem. They just kind of like uh, they have their, you know, silly jokes. And they're all kind of reverse, which is funny. But um, Nor- Norwegian basketball culture is not very popular. They like their skis. Um, but it was where I played last year. And then uh, Swedish basketball culture is actually pretty good. Um, it just depends on, you know, where you are. We, uh, we average about, you know, 1,300 fans, 12, 1,300 fans here um, as we just built a new arena. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple of places that average around 1,500, 1,600 fans. Um, so there's, there's a good basketball culture up here. Denmark has a very good one as well. Um, the level of the league is a pretty mid-level league in, in European standards. Um, but it's pretty fun. You know, the only thing that's a little different is – uh, this is called Yontelaven, which is basically means the nail that stands up gets hammered down. Uh, that's like a, a very cultural lifestyle thing in Scandinavia. And so when uh, when you're kind of playing, sometimes uh, Swedes and Norwegians are very passive. You know, they'll oh yay, good job, good shot, and then they'll be very quiet the rest of the game, which is a little interesting. So they're that's there sitting in a packed house, but they're not making any noise. It's not as it's not as loud as uh, as some of the places I've played for sure. Not it's it's more of a cultural thing than anything else, though. You um, both from the accent and your adoption of that word there. I don't. What was the word again? The nail that's the Okay. It, well, it's it's two different. In Norwegian, it's Jontalagen, and in Swedish, it's Jontalagen. It seems like you've really picked up on the culture just in the short uh, time that you've been there. I mean, you're picking up language too. Yeah, yeah, I've actually been uh, practicing language um, uh, pretty recently. I was actually working on my Norwegian. Uh, well, before you were talking to me, um, yeah, I've spent about, this is the longest I've spent in a region since I've played professionally overseas. Uh, I've been in Scandinavia now for a little over a year and a month, um, which is really cool. So it's, it's been kind of a, a weird transition for me cause I'm so used to changing cultures, changing scenes. Um, you know, I did that for my first four years and then now coming, or I mean my first three years and coming into my fourth year, uh, it's very, very similar. And uh, I'm also dating a beautiful Norwegian girl, and I've dated a couple of them. So it's kind of like, okay, maybe I should pick up a second language. Certainly helps. How are you learning the language? Are you doing an app or something? Uh, Yeah, just doing uh, Duolingo right now. And then uh, as soon as I finish up that, then I'm going to start using this uh, application called Babbel, which I've heard is pretty good. How great is that Duolingo? um, It's absolutely incredible. uh, Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. And then um, I have a very nice girl who I speak with pretty frequently who uh, is teaching me as well. So... As soon as I get a little better handle on the language, I'll be able to, you know, start conversing with her, and then she corrects me pretty frequently, which Does, is really nice. The the league in Sweden is called Basket Ligan. Does it cross borders, or is it just within Sweden that you play? No, nope, it's just within Sweden. Um, so within Sweden, there's actually only one team that plays uh, in a European competition now. Um, every country, like in Europe, uh, some there's always teams within each country that play different leagues around Europe. Uh, so the team here in Sweden that plays, it's uh, in FIBA Euro Cup. They're a Sorotelli, their team out of Stockholm. Um, there's really no cross crossover between leagues. Um, earlier this season, we played a fi- uh, two Finnish teams in just a preseason tournament. But um, no no crossover between Norwegian leagues or Swedish leagues or any of the other Scandinavian leagues, really. It seems like for you personally, you're having a great year. Uh, you know, from what I can see on Eurobasket, you're leading the team in scoring and rebounding. And, um, you know, it seems like professionally you're progressing every year that you've played overseas. Can you kind of walk us through what you've been up to professionally since you left Wisconsin a few years ago? Uh, yeah, definitely. So right after I left school, I was uh, very fortunate enough to play uh, in the NBA Summer League. So I got to kind of taste a little bit of what the NBA was like, which was really cool. 
Um, and then after that, I actually went overseas and I was working on getting a passport um, of Israeli descent because when I had a crazy red afro and the last name Brusewitz, people thought I was a little Jewish. <laughs> so I found some I found some strange heritage on my mom's side and was trying to get a passport because um, certain leagues around Europe have different rules. And in Israel, um, which is actually has great basketball culture, they have great fans. Um, the culture in general is just fantastic. Uh, very friendly, and especially if you're American. Uh, but if you get a, what they have is one of the rules is during domestic league games. Uh, it's called the Winners League. You have to uh, you have to have two Israeli nationals on the floor at all times. Now, if you have an Israeli passport, you count as an Israeli national. It doesn't matter if you have dual passports or not. So I was uh, on a Euro Cup team uh, called Hapoel Jerusalem, and my plan was to try and get a passport, and then I was going to play for basically the top two clubs in in uh, Israel pretty much the rest of my career and make very, very good money uh, doing so because I counted as an Israeli and not as an American. Uh, what ended up happening there is I showed up and the team couldn't get me a passport because my Jewish sort of fake heritage wasn't strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I ended up kind of sitting on the bench for an entire year. Uh, I was trying to get maybe moved. My agent didn't move me. And uh, because the team really didn't want to release me either because I was a, a good practice player for them. Um, so I learned a lot there just about how to be a true professional. Um, it was a very frustrating year basketball-wise just because I played like 20 minutes all year, uh, even though I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do in practice. Um, and there was a lot of just politics. And that was my first real lesson in politics and basketball. When, when you do something for money, it doesn't really matter who's the best. Sometimes it just matters what other people think. So it's a little bit of an interesting start to my career. Um, because then the next year I had a very difficult time finding a job. Um, and I ended up not signing with a team. Uh, I, I couldn't sign with a team until about October. Um, and I signed in Slovenia, uh, a small country right next to Italy and in between Croatia, um, in a very small budget club, uh, and found another coach that would not play me, uh, which was a little interesting. Um, I was, you know, isolated. I was the only American on the team. I had, uh, my, my, practices were all translated to me by my assistant coach named flex this was a self-given <laughs> nickname yeah. his name was flex because um he he practiced very european bathing habits maybe used a bar of soap once a week so it was funk master flex but i just <laughs> referred to him as flex you know to be cordial <laughs> um so yeah that was my first and then i ended up getting fired from that job and then i came home and I uh, got to come home and spend some time in Christmas. And then my agents, uh, you know, it was a little bit difficult for me to find a job even at that point. So they ended up finding me a job in Malta, uh, which I can tell you right now is one of the worst leagues in the world. Uh, it's not even a true professional league. I was the only guy really getting paid. Everybody else is just kind of uh, enjoying life and playing basketball. But it was a, you know, six-month paid vacation on one of the most beautiful islands in the world. And, um, you know, looking back, it was probably a really good decision for me because coming out of school, I wasn't a big time scorer. And to really make a name for yourself and to get paid as a professional, you have to be a scorer, especially as an American. That's why they pay you. They come over. They pay you to come over and score. They have role players. So for me, it was it was really good because I averaged like 28 points a game. Um, and I was, you know, the guy who needed to score. I needed to shoot. I needed to, to practice. And I was getting double teamed. And. And learning how to score at the professional level um, is, is something different than college or anywhere else. So that was a really good uh, you know, training for me because I was kind of the go-to guy. I had to play 40 minutes. 
um, and just figure out how to score as a professional and, and relearn how to score because I used to do it in high school a lot more. And then uh, after that season, we won a championship, which was super cool. Got to travel, uh, made some really good friends. I have a nice vacation spot whenever I go back, which is something I highly recommend everybody does go to Malta. It's, it's super cool. And then, uh, and then I spent uh, another year in Norway last year and kind of the same thing. It's a lower level league. Um, but I was treated very well. I had a, a really good Norwegian point guard. He's the national team point guard. Um, we had a nice little salt and pepper combination. We each averaged like 25 a game um, and carried our teams to the playoffs. And once again, it was one of those things where I just needed to learn how to score as a professional, um, you know, seeing double teams and, and learning the professional game that way. So the last two years have been uh, not so great money-wise and not so great league-wise, but they've been really fantastic for my professional career. Um, just in the basis of individually learning how to score and learning how to play a uh, be a professional scorer. So you talked about this in obviously in the context of what you did at Wisconsin, but I'm looking at career averages and it's like you know 4.6, 5.6, 6.5, and then the next big jump is what you had last year in Norway. I mean, a 24 and a half points a game. Suddenly, your three point percentage went up to like four, over 40 percent. I mean, is that a huge part of your game now? And how have you? worked on that i mean their job is to win games it's not necessarily to develop players so how have you kind of balanced those two those two things um you know it's just it's kind of crazy what happens when you uh when you become a professional when it is your job to literally do nothing but play basketball and put the ball in the hoop um so you know over the last four years honestly i have put up more jump shots than i care to even count um, you know, I'm in a gym every day working on my form, working on my, you know, footwork, um, you know, working on really small fundamental things. That's one of the biggest misconceptions is people are like, oh, you're a professional. Oh, you probably practice crazy stuff all the time. And honestly, being a professional means you're really, really good at the most simple tasks, which is shooting, making layups, finishing, everything like that. So over the last four years, I've really um, really just been practicing every day and developed. Um, also, I would like to point out as a professional, you get a little older, you get to kind of train the way you want to train. When you're in college, you're kind of forced to, to put on weight and, and do a lot of that stuff. And, and I'm not a huge fan of, of heavy lifting, especially for basketball players, unless you really need it. I'm a, a stockier than average human being and uh, putting on weight was never a problem for me, but I was always in the weight room. And uh, it really does change your shot uh, quite a bit if you're doing it, uh, you know, all the time. And playing in the Big Ten, I needed the extra weight and I needed the extra beef just to deal with, you know, some absolutely massive humans that we had to deal with, <laughs> you know, playing against Michigan State, Ohio State, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I've grown into my body. I've gotten, you know, I've gotten more accustomed to carrying the weight I have. And then uh, just fundamentally, it's, it's every day I'm putting, you know, three, four, five hundred shots up. And, uh, yeah, three point percentage has gone up, uh, this year I'm actually in like a shooting slump. I, <laughs> for some reason, the last like month I haven't been able to knock down a three. Um, but I'm still shooting over 50 per, like I'm shooting over 55% from, from two and I'm still around like 35, 36% from three. So, um, that's been a big part of my game and, um, I've just developed and, and kind of gotten back to what I've been always good at is putting the ball on the floor and, and making plays for others. Your last name is Bruzewitz. And yes. I'm wondering if there's sort of inherent belief, at least those from uh, that are native English speakers, to listen to your name and assume that you're going to be a bruising type guy. Do you think that that follows you someplace when you like when you went to Wisconsin that they didn't want you necessarily to score, but they wanted you to rebound and defend? 
Um, a little bit. It just kind of was how our teams were built and, and you know, how Coach Ryan uh, really wanted to win games. You know, if you look at Wisconsin, um, the consistency comes from from understanding what you want. And, you know, when I was at school, I was much more concerned with defensively being a, a presence because when I was brought in, uh, you know, I had an NBA guy in front of me and John Luer, and I had another very high-level European player in Keaton Ankeville. Both those, both those guys are very, very skilled offensively. Um, John probably doesn't like to know this, but John's kind of super soft. And Keaton wasn't the toughest dude either. They were good big guys, but, uh, you know, coming in, I could see myself getting minutes there um, as well as I came in. They wanted me to be a little heavier and be more of a, a four-man where I wanted to be a little bit more of a three-man. So it's kind of a a clash of, you know, what did the coaches want compared to what you want. And, you know, looking back, I really wish I would have been able to say, you know what, no, I want to play more on the wing. I would have played more of the three. And I could have found some minutes behind Tim Jarmus um, during my time there, uh, especially early. Um, but I found that, you know, that's where they wanted me to play. And that's kind of the style they needed for me. And then as you grow into the program under Coach Ryan, then you got start getting more responsibilities offensively. Um, and that's just kind of the system we were in, uh, being a bruiser, eh, I am a little bit here. Um, I'm much more of a, you know, pick and roll run the floor, kind of, a, a point forward for my team this year. I'm making a lot of plays, um, setting guys up. It's really nice. I have a coach that, you know, lets me take the rebound and I get to push the ball if I, if I have a lane and, um, I'm having a good season and I'm having fun doing it. How much are you able to keep track of what's going on back in the United States with either, you know, Wisconsin, obviously, or the NBA and things like that sort? Um, well, there's a great thing called NBA League Pass. Um, uh, this year I bought it. Last year I was able to borrow it from a friend. Um, so I watch probably, you know, 10 NBA games, 11 NBA games a week. Um, I'm watching, you know, I kind of wake up and depending on what time I have morning shooting. Um, I'm able to, you know, catch a half here and then watch another half. And I'm just kind of following players that I really like as well as um, it's really good just for me to watch high level basketball like that because you learn, you know, as that's the other thing is, is constantly being a student of the game. So, you know, I'm learning and looking at how people are playing pick and rolls as well as if somebody does a move I like, I definitely bring that to the gym the next day or a shot that I think I could, you know, need to master. Um, so I watch a lot of NBA games. College is a little more difficult for me just because they uh unless i get the i have one of my teammates has the espn app which if there's a game on espn i can watch a lot of it and then i also have synergy um so i'm able to follow games quite frequently um i keep up with the badgers you know i follow them on twitter i kind of know when they're playing um if it's not you know three or four a.m i usually try and catch the ends of their games and then um especially when big 10 play starts i really like to watch it um i saw them in maui i watched them play both games against tennessee and um, who was the second game against uh, the middle round oh, before they lost to know. North Carolina? <laughs> I, I, didn't I can't it. even remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, I saw that game. And then uh, and then during the season, I actually do a radio show with uh, Jake Zimmerman. Um, and we talk a lot about Badger basketball. So I actually watch uh, I try and watch almost every game just so I don't sound like a blabbering idiot on the air. <laughs> <laughs> there's been there's been some talk about a Wisconsin alumni team forming, and obviously you've played in TBT twice, uh, once with the Bad Boys, which was sort of a Big Ten-type uh, team, and then last year with TMD uh, and mm -hmm. Marshall Henderson. What, what would you think about a Wisconsin team forming? Um, I think it would be good. It, it, it could be fun. Um, it might be a little more challenging for me, just understanding where I'm going to be regionally. Uh, I actually uh, have a job, a summer job waiting for me. One of my best friends has a, a, a nice company out in North Carolina. So I go and work, I'm going to go work for him again. 
this summer. That was actually why I uh, ended up playing with Marshall and them. They had a regional in Charlotte, and I uh, I uh, registered my name, and then the, the guys at TBT reached out to me and said, you know, was there a team you want to play on? And I was like, ah, just pick the best one for me. And then uh, they were like, well, do you want to play with Marshall, even though he knocked you out? I was like, I don't have any hard feelings. It was, you know, a few years ago. Sure, love to play with them. He's like, they have a good team. We'll see what happens. So that was how I got onto TMD. Um, it was more of a regional thing. And uh, I know the directors over uh, – I know I got introduced to pretty much all the directors uh, of the TBT tournament, the guy who ran it, uh, but mostly both the guys who are like the general manager who run everything and then the guy who actually set it up. Um, I got very cool with them this summer. Um, they even let me like announce a game. I got to be a color commentator on ESPN3, which was super cool. Um, and uh, so that was really fun. So we'll see what happens. Um, I know this year we were talking about trying to get it together and then – uh, one of our former teammates got married, so everybody was gone for a weekend. Um, and then, you know, our guys are kind of spread out, and it depends on who wants to do it. Um, you know, Keaton Ankville, I know for a fact, will not do it because he loves his summers in Madison, and he's like, you know what, I don't pick a ball anymore. We're good. <laughs> um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. I know we've talked about it. Um, Jeremy Davis, uh, one of my really close friends from college, um, he's been asking to, you know, see if we can put something together. Um, so we'll kind of see. And then if, uh, if we can do that, that'd be awesome. If not, um, I'll might just, you know, kind of be a free agent and roam around on another team again. Um, or maybe try and put another team together, uh, together myself, uh, with some guys from Minnesota. Um, just cause I know we have a really good, uh, really good crew of, uh, guys from Minnesota, from that region that have, you know, played professionally play overseas. So I think we could maybe put some together there too, which would be fun. That'd be great. Mike, appreciate your time. You've been more than generous uh, talking to us today. Good luck in, in Sweden. When is the sun actually going to be at its lowest point? I assume it's going to be around December 21st. And the, then how much sun will you going to get during the day when that happens? Um, yeah, we were actually just, I was just having a conversation with my coach about this. He thought it was the 16th. I knew it was the 21st. Yes. <laughs> it's gotta Thank be. Thank you. It's, that's the, yeah. the winter solstice, right? So that's what I said. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it might change here. I'm like, no, it's the winter solstice for everywhere. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, no, so we'll have, I think the sun will probably come up around 930 in two weeks. Um, it doesn't come up until about nine. So we got about two weeks where it probably won't come up until about 930 and it'll start setting around 230. Um, and it'll be pitch black by about 3.15, um, 3, 3.15. Because right now I go to practice every day at around 3.30, and it is uh, pitch black out pretty much. So well, enjoy the sun while you can, and uh, we'll touch base um, again soon. Thank you, man. appreciate it. And I, it's nice because I don't need any sunscreen, so we're good. It's not a bit, I'm, saving, <laughs> I'm saving a good amount of money up here because of that. All right, Mike. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining the TBT Podcast and sticking with us. I want to introduce you guys to a guest, Eric Duick, who is the, the play-by-play guy for TBT, all things TBT. He's been all around the country. He's been on multiple assignments. Eric does so many games by himself. Eric, we are so pleased to have you on. Thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm always pumped to talk some TBT, and I've been following all the off-season storylines, to say the least, everything with China and all the great podcasts you guys put out. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. And uh, no, currently, right now, you're in Central Missouri. Uh, you're a play-by-play and news broadcaster out there. You know, particularly on the radio. So, what's up with you now? What are you covering? You know, how's life? Life's good. Getting a lot of experience out here. Just coming off the high school football state championships, which was a really 
good postseason run, 15 games. Then I've got a couple of small school college basketball doubleheaders coming up to the full slate of college football as well. So we'll have a lot of Friday games followed by Saturday games. And there's a lot of passion for sports out here, really getting to make a lot of fun trips. So everything's good. You made a lot of trips for TBT. You've been in, you know, the Northeast Regional. You've been in the South. You've been in the Midwest. Before we get to, you know, your responsibilities come come the summertime in in July and August. How did you first hear about TBT? Well, Bayheim's Army is affiliated with Syracuse, of course. Kevin Bellby is the general manager for Bayheim's Army, and I went to Syracuse around when Kevin was there. Kevin was the manager, and Kevin and I are pretty good buddies. He actually was a avid listener of my buddy James and I's talk show in college. So I know a lot of the same people he knows. We got in contact together and I did the Bayheim's army games at Philly U last year. Then I ended up going to DePaul and doing the super 17 there. And then it carried into this year, of course, and bigger and better opportunities in the third year of TBT. So you've seen TBT grow, you know, even in just two years, the tournament has made tremendous strides. What have been some of your overall impressions so far in the two years that you've been with us? I think it is a phenomenal tournament, and everybody knows that lower third graphic that says $2 million winner takes all, and that is surely the big storyline that makes for so much pressure in late games, tight drama down the stretch, but it's also just about the storylines and how you've got guys that you watched when you were a kid, whether it's a Jason Williams or Mike Bibby who obviously captured a lot of the nation's attention. But there's also a bunch of other guys who were really prominent college players like a Marshall Henderson or a Josh Selby, a former consensus top five recruit. Everyone wonders, well, what are these guys up to these days? Selby, a former draft pick, but really didn't cut it in the league. Where is he now? So those are elements that are really fascinating. And also the fact that guys are trying to get to that next level. A lot of people look at an NFL and they might see a guy be a college stud and then not make it in the NFL. Does he go to NFL Europe, this or that, where? Well, in basketball, there are so many more opportunities. And what fascinates me getting so thoroughly involved with it is how many guys are really just trying to brand themselves and find that next career opportunity. So we always talk about the money. That is the the big factor. That's a, a huge part of why everyone tunes in, why everyone participates, why it's such a hot topic with TBT. But there's also a lot of other cool things about it, whether it's the alumni, whether it's guys trying to advance their professional careers, guys that have been in 10 countries. It really just hits so many boxes on the list that make this special. DJ Kennedy and Bobby Brown, particularly for me, uh, you know, I'm sure you're very familiar with them. Two TBT guys who got great NBA looks. Bobby Brown is even hanging around right now with the Houston Rockets. So, you know, like you mentioned, TBT, just an awesome opportunity for all of these professional players and maybe to even enhance, you know, their games and get them seen by NBA teams. Um, With TBT, you talked about a lot of storylines. I know you gave us the brief overview, but do you mind picking out one or two of those storylines that really, you know, stick out in your mind, whether it's an individual player or whether it's a team? Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, obviously, Bayheim's Army. I certainly love that because it's an alumni team, and that's been a huge part of this. People always talk about how it's a one-and-done era. What love does a player have for his university? There's kind of that pessimistic view that's out there, and I think TBT really does a great job 
of bringing back the camaraderie, whether it's a guy who played under Jim Beheim 10 years ago or a guy who played under him a couple of years ago in a C.J. Fair or a Brandon Trish. All these guys getting together, practicing the zone defense in the mellow center and the great job that Kevin Belby does as the general manager there, bringing these guys from multiple generations, then bringing in a point guard and Willie Dean, who's good buddies with Eric Devendorf. They've played in multiple countries together. Those parts of this fascinate me how these guys are still coming together no matter if they played together at Syracuse. If they didn't, they all have that orange bond together. Then in terms of individual storylines, a team like the City of Gods fascinated me and Joe Connolly and the general manager who, when you've got him mic'd up, this guy is going to hes gonna deliver every single time. And him and his four brothers worked in the NBA. He is considered the mentor for Carmelo Anthony, another Syracuse connection, of course, having been Carmelo's assistant coach in high school. And we talked about a DJ Kennedy or a Bobby Brown. What about a guy like Xavier Silas, even, who hasn't necessarily ascended to the NBA yet from his TBT time, but he's a guy who played perfectly enough right near Philadelphia University, two regular season games for the Sixers, two postseason games for the Sixers. And Fran Fraschilla called him a couple of times, a guy on the cusp. And he'll come out. TBT and really show some big time stuff. He's the son of an NBA player and James Silas, who was with the Spurs in the Cavs. There's a guy like Chris Wright on his team, for example, who played for Georgetown, never reached a sweet 16. Then here we are calling his super 16 game. No amateurism rules apply. So he's got $2 million up for grabs. And Chris Wright is the only player who has ever stepped on an NBA floor with multiple sclerosis. And you read about how he, first learned of that when he was overseas and the trouble he was having doing sprints and how they told him three times his career would be over. That's fascinating. Then you've got a guy like James Gist, who's won international dunk contest, didn't get to the league despite being drafted 57th overall by the Spurs. And yet he's playing with a team with six guys who did make the NBA. So there's just so much back and forth. Even a guy like Pops Mensabansu, you can just go on down the line and, and the bios are so deep for these guys Because it's not necessarily, you look at whether it's an NBA stud, there's usually a pretty natural development through a career, whether it's a couple years in college, four years in college, and then repeated success in the NBA. A lot of these guys in TBT, whether it's a DeMar Johnson who sat out a year after a horrific car crash, former sixth overall pick, that's been peak of life, then coming back down, getting back to the league, now competing for $2 million with another top 10 pick in Mike Sweetney. So you have just so many back and forths, different adventures, guys who've played in 10 different countries. And there's really no other profession that can say that where you're going to be in so many different countries and try and work your way to the top of the profession. The two that stick out for me the most, I think, is overseas elite and how they've risen and you know created you know such a powerhouse in only three years of the tournament, winning back-to-back titles. And Dan, uh, the host of the podcast here, interviewed John Mugar, who's the CEO of the TBT, and he said that was one of the most impressive developments that he saw is, is the fact that overseas elite won back-to-back. The fact that you play 13 games and you've won all 13 with your back against the wall every single time is, is mighty impressive. And Another one for me that sticks out is always a Brave. Just that alumni team that, that did it in 06. They, you know, their 10-year anniversary, they make a run you know, all the way to New York City uh, to play in the TBT Final Four. So those two for me stuck, you know, stood out. Uh, but I want to focus a little bit on you now, Eric. You know, 
you do a lot of these games by yourself. And I'm from Philadelphia, and I listen to a lot of Sixers games, and a lot of Sixers games on the radio (laughs) by a guy named Tom McGinnis. He does play-by-play by himself. And I've always wondered, how do you keep the pipes so clean and so refreshed? It's really funny you ask that because uh, people would would joke with me whether it was our producer and director Robert Williamson, James Crenshaw. We love to to crack jokes about that because sometimes I'm doing eight straight games in a day, and I won't lie to you, Maury. I've got the honey ready to go. I'll put it in the in the side of a pouch wherever, and I might chug it between games. Or sometimes you just boil a pot of water in the morning and. It sounds silly, but it really works. Just inhale steam can really clear your pipes and and help your longevity throughout a day. And and sometimes, naturally, there's a bit of a pacing element to it, too. If there's a 20- or 30-point game, I might try and lay off a little bit and let the natural sound tell the story. Because one of the more fascinating things about TBT is that... Everyone loves NFL films, for example. Well, TBT is NFL films in real time, all right? You do not get the audio TBT provides anywhere else whatsoever, whether it's on the floor, whether it's strategic. It is unmatched. So I have that as a really good boost to play off of. And like I said, with the pacing, you mentioned Always a Brave and their great story. One of my favorite memories of TBT is that wild buzzer beater to – Unfortunately, it kind of crushed the hopes of this great Jackson, Tennessee story that was on the other side. But it was a five-point deficit and erased in five or ten seconds or whatever it was, this buzzer-beating thriller to get them out of the Midwest Regional. So I, I want to be able to be in, in peak shape when moments like that go down or when Bayheim's Army in 20th and only a couple of years ago are, are going into overtime or when Team Colorado, who ends up making the championship, is defeating the reigning runner-up in, in Team 23 in the final minute. So you really have to pace yourself and, and take care of your body. That, that's essential. You come from an alumni, you know, you come from a school, Syracuse. Basketball is, is everything up there in central New York. So what additional hoops knowledge, you know, have you gained during your time at TBT? You know, you mentioned some of the storylines you're following in China. So I was just curious as to, you know, what additional hoops knowledge, uh, like I just mentioned, have you gained through, through the two years with the tournament? Well, one of those things is, in large part, what TBT does just an exceptional job with on social media is promoting these guys' international careers. So to me, what stands out is we think about the guys like the DJ Kennedys who get the contracts. But it is the difference between guys 9 through 12 on a roster in the league, in the NBA, and top guys internationally, whether it's a Darius Johnson Odom for an Olympiacos or a, a James Gist playing in Greece or an Eric McCollum who's setting the Chinese single-game scoring record with 82 points. It's that these guys, Phil Goss, by the way, is probably one of the best examples of all this in that he's 33 years old and he has just been putting up numbers internationally for years, whether it's been in the Italian First Division, the Netherlands, Turkey, Israel, Poland, France. These guys have been in so many countries and they can play. There are guys like Dwight Bikes from that Marquette team who I thought was really putting on a show or an Adonis Thomas who had a really short-lived run with the Memphis alumni. But some of these guys are so close, not just the ones who are being signed like a DJ Kennedy or a Bobby Brown, but there are really a ton of guys. I mentioned Xavier Silas 
who can play and play well in these games with guys who are just a couple years removed from the NBA or I think are good enough to maybe be deep reserves in the NBA. And, and even talking to a guy like Mike Bruzewitz, we talk about on-floor sound. Mike Bruzewitz was a stud in terms of having him mic'd up, and then he was my analyst for the Team Utah and Gonzaga game. And he's saying a lot of it in that deep reserve role is, well, maybe you want to be the star of the show in another country. You want to live that kind of upper-scale life in a foreign country and learn about the world, get paid big bucks, and be the star of your team. That might be what keeps you overseas. Maybe you just don't want that end-of-the-roster opportunity, or maybe you might just not have the connections or the right agent in that situation. There are just countless factors, according to Mike and according to stuff I've read, that play into that. And I think all that is is so fascinating, just how many good players there are in the world. Is there one alumni team you're looking forward to to seeing in TBT 2017 that hasn't been a part of the TBT yet? Oh, that, that is a really good question. You've got to want to see a, a UNC or a Duke get involved in this, right? You just have to. And that's inevitable. It's obviously going to happen. I'm sure Dan and John are all over that. And Jesse Leeds Grant, they're all recruiting these guys. There's no doubt about it. But we've got a Syracuse. Kentucky! Kentucky, Maury, they flamed out so hard. You have to show up. That's another big thing, by the way. There are guys who get distracted. And I don't want to say distracted. They're looking out for themselves. But TBT is going to continue to grow and maybe trump those Korean League tryouts in, in these kind of cases. It's all about demand. They might move that Korean League tryout. There are guys realizing you can't just bail out on your TBT team because then they might lose. That Kentucky team got beat badly from the jump. So if you don't show up, you are going to get beat. So that's kind of the funny reverse element of it is we're wondering, are we going to get a, a UNC? Are we going to get a Duke? You know, we've got a Syracuse. Well, Kentucky showed didn't work out. Michigan State showed didn't work out. I loved this Marquette team. And to be honest, I was actually, I don't want to say surprised they lost when they did, but I, I thought they really had a shot at the two million. I loved the makeup of that team. They obviously had Wes Matthews and an NBA player as their coach. So, UNC and Duke, and hey, the, the Charlotte area, right? TBT's already been played there. That's going to be something that's on the mind. Justin Gray from Wake Forest was in the tournament this year. Maybe that's another attraction. There's just so many teams in the Northeast that are definitely going to continue to get involved in this. Just like you, I'm really excited to kind of see where TBT goes, not only this upcoming summer in 2017, but definitely, you know, three years, five years, ten years down the line. Uh, Eric Duick, thanks so much for, you know, a few minutes of your time and hopping on the TBT podcast. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Eric Duick, the TBT play-by-play man all over the country. You can check him out on Twitter at Eric Duick, E-R-I-C-D-U-I-C-K. He's also a play-by-play and news broadcaster in central Missouri. All right, that was great stuff from Eric. What a fascinating guy he is. A lot of enthusiasm that comes through with him, Maury, huh? Definitely. I mean, he's really energetic. And when you call games by yourself, there's, you know, not a lot of time to have dead air. So he definitely, you know, fills that up really well. And being from Philadelphia, the Sixers play-by-play guy, Tom McGinnis, does does the games by himself. So, you know, I've had a chance to listen to some of Eric's calls, you know, a couple days ago and listen back to, you know, just, just the great, you know, not only play-by-play calls, but the analysis by himself, you know, and he's sitting there with, without anybody. So it's really, really a tribute to him for the success and the uh, the great stuff that he's done for TBT. Well, I think the thing that 
I always imagine when I watch Eric call games is when we're all little kids and you're playing in the backyard and you're imagining yourself and you're uh, you know playing in the major leagues or playing in the NBA or whatever, and you're making your own play-by-play calls as that uh, those things are happening. You know, like when you're shooting the ball and you're like, Friel goes back and he drains it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so every time I see Eric calling these games, I kind of imagine him in that role as a little kid and you can totally see the same sort of facial expressions and even the way he kind of can, you know holds his hands and everything it's it's really fun to watch and hopefully uh, you know he continues to become uh, more well known as, as time goes on because he's been fantastic for TBT and um, you know certainly wish him nothing but the best Josh I know you want to start with uh, some updates on guys that you have uh, overseas that are playing from TBT right TBT sure, yeah. TBTers as we call them right Absolutely. Uh, I, a couple of guys, actually, who uh, you might be able to hear if you stay tuned on the podcast in the coming weeks and you know even this week. Um, but we'll begin with a guy, again, who you may uh, be fortunate enough to hear in the coming weeks, Kyle Fogg uh, from Overseas Elite, one of Fran Fraschilla's favorite players from TBT. Um, he continuing to play well over in Spain. He plays right on a beach town, so can't probably complain about that as well. He's averaging 16.9 points a game in Euro Cup play, uh, and he just had a big game and a win over UCAM Eureka. He dropped 16 points, and that was a battle of two of the best teams over in Spain, and he was actually named the Eurobasket third best performer of the month, uh, You know, playing, again, a very good month capped off by that big performance and that win the other day. Chris Warren from TB, TMD, excuse me, uh, a guy who really carried that team. Um, you know, that, that was a team I watched pretty closely. I was in Charlotte when they were there, a, a team who, um, you know, they, they had Marshall Henderson, they had Bruzewitz, who we'll, we'll get to in a little bit, but, um, you know, when they needed an offensive boost, it was Warren kind of putting it together. He's playing over in France, in Paris, actually, a suburb of Paris. He had a season-high 26 points. They actually fell in that game, but um, he had a very nice game. And he actually plays with Spencer Butterfield from the Utah Stallion. So, uh, you know, a little TBT connection there. Warren has 16 points in 4.4 assists per game over there in France's top league. Kenny Hasbrook, I, Dan, I meant to ask you, I, I don't remember seeing him last year. I know he was a Liberty Baller in 2015. Yeah, he um, had, you know, he's been in TBT. He actually played in TBT the first couple of years, and he didn't play in 2016, I think due to a uh, professional obligation in Puerto Rico. They have a summer league that comes up there, and I know he was doing that. Yeah, so he's uh, playing well right now. He's playing uh, over in Italy, actually. He had 25 points, another season high right there, uh, and then he followed that up on Thursday with 23 points and a win. They're playing very well, his team. Uh, UCC, Asagetko, Piacenza. That's a good uh, one. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, they're playing very well in, uh, thanks to Hasbrook, averaging 16.2 points per game. I was actually thinking, uh, I'm a big food guy, Dan, so it must be great to play in Italy out of anywhere. Oh, especially. I can't even, yeah, that would be the best. Yeah, just every night. Uh, hitting up a new restaurant. Uh, another name who I know I'm going to butcher here, Chris uh, Cesare Powicks from the Cat Pack. Uh, one of the more uh, interesting names in TV, TVTs playing over in Poland, actually. You don't hear that too often, but he's playing in Poland. He has 17.9 points per game, and uh, the Davidson alum racked up another 19 this week in a uh, tough loss. His team uh, going through the motions a little bit, but he's actually the top scorer over in Poland, so uh, playing very well 
for the Cat Pack. They actually only had five or six guys who showed up in Charlotte. He was one of them to that big crowd, so uh, carrying that momentum over. And that last guy, a guy who we heard a minute ago, Mike Bruzewitz, playing uh, very well as well over in Sweden. He's the top scorer over there. He's double figures in all 11 games, averaging 16 point or 19.5 points, excuse me, and 8.8 rebounds. Uh, and he's actually playing against, you know, one of his chief rivals over there is Brandon Roselle from Ram Nation, who's fifth in the league in points and second in steals. So uh, two guys, really, Bruzewitz and Roselle, playing very well over in Sweden. That's great. All right, Maury, what have you got? So a lot of a lot of great college basketball this past week, and I, w- I was at Madison Square Garden watching UConn and Syracuse, and you know, I'm thinking of you know some of the great UConn players to come through. But one that you know kind of flew under the radar, but helped this team get to a Final Four in 09 was Gavin Edwards from Team 23. Yep. And while he doesn't necessarily fill up the stat sheet, you know he's really solid down low. He always grabs rebound rebounds. He disrupts a lot of shots from guards driving down the lane. But, you know, Dan, his offensive game has really blossomed. He's playing over in Japan. He's at, you know, just under four, 15 points per game and eight rebounds a game. Uh, and he's helped his team win 13 of the last 15 games following a two and three start. So Gavin Edwards playing really well in Japan. His team is one of the top teams over there. Also in Israel, Marcus Relaford, Team Colorado, you know, made that great run like we all know to New York City, to the championship game. But Colorado had a massive win at home against Xavier, who was ranked 13th in the country this past week. So just going through some of the, the Colorado guys, and Saul Relaford was you know, really you know, a force in Israel. He's playing for Hophel, Midgal, Hamek. I was texting uh, with Bo Gamble. At- I was texting with Bo Gamble during that game from uh, the Colorado team. And he tells me that Marcus Hall was there uh, in person at the game to see uh, Colorado beat Xavier at home and got a great reception from the crowd. So really good to see that, you know, a TBT hero is uh, is being well received by his home found, hometown fans, too. Is That's Hall great. not playing anywhere? He hasn't signed yet. He's still wow. working on that. If, from what I understand, you know, he uh, played so well in TBT and got so much attention that they're looking to, you know, up up his league standing a little bit. I think he's been playing sort of in the a really well-respected and pretty well-paying uh, second division in Turkey over the last couple of years. And I think he's trying to move up a couple of divisions. And so, uh, you know, my understanding is that he's got a couple of great opportunities that he's looking at right now, sort of as a mid-season um, uh, boost for a team. Uh, I don't want to say where it is yet, but he's doing pretty well. Yeah, that'd be quite the pickup for anything. Oh, for sure. Nice, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Hall, he was unbelievable. Yeah, just instant <laughs> offense and everything you would want in a point guard pretty much. Yeah, ton of speed, great, great, you know, floor vision and everything. So um, so Relaford is at, you know, a little over 21 points a game. His team's second uh, in the league. Relaford shooting the ball over 53% from the floor. So playing really good basketball out there in Israel. Uh, Sean Marshall uh, is playing in Turkey from Skinner's Freight Train. Uh, Marshall graduated from Boston College in 07. He was only, you know, one of a few players to lead Boston College to four straight NCAA tournament appearances this past summer in TBT. He averaged 24 points in two games out you know, in the West Regional. And now in Turkey, he's one of the most prolific scorers. He's at 20 points a game, averaging six rebounds as well. His team's won 11 straight games. So Marshall really playing well out there in Turkey, leading his team to, to the top of the league at 12-1. and one. And then also in Turkey, from Eberlin Drive is Justin Dentman. Uh, I was watching the Gonzaga against Washington game the other night, and Justin Dentman is a 2009 graduate from Washington, and he dropped 32 points 
you know, his team lost in the first round to Pedro's posse with Mike Bibby and Jason Williams, but he hit nine three-pointers, Dan. So a really prolific score from the guy from Eberlin Drive. In Turkey, he's averaging 12 points a game in the EuroLeague and 11 points per game in the Turkish League. That's great. Great updates, guys. A lot of good stuff going on with TBTers around the world, and it's always nice to hear how well some of these guys are doing. And I think also, at least from my perspective, really puts into perspective how good these guys actually are. You know, when they go to any division or any you know country that they're playing, it seems like they're almost always doing well. So it's really great to hear. Yeah, Dan, I was actually, uh, when you look around, there were probably, you know, five to ten guys that I could have put in here playing well in Europe that, you know, we already mentioned a couple of times. So I decided to, you know, get a couple of new guys in here. But uh, on that point, I mean, if you look down country by country it seems like you know you go in the top performer list or you look at who had a big game and it's you know 50 percent tbt guys uh so it's really amazing to see i mean maury mentioned israel a ton of guys playing well over there um italy there were multiple guys playing well a lot of tbt uh players seem to play in germany uh eric palm from the midwest dream squads putting together uh one of the best seasons I've seen, you know, of anyone, college, professional, etc. He is like 30 points a game um, over in Europe. So a lot of guys playing really well. Uh, you know, it shows kind of TBT. If, you know, play you play well over the summer, you can kind of kind of bring that momentum into the uh, you know the European season. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again for listening. Remember that if you're listening to us on iTunes, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating and review. It'll help spread the word. And tell all your friends about the TBT podcast. We'd love to get as many listeners to this uh, this as possible and give you guys even more information about what TBTers are up to around the world every week. Thanks again. 